Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you to um, conversations with our priest tonight. Today is going to be a great topic that no one has discussed tonight. We have the Reverend Dr. Stephanie Taylor from St. Martin in the Field School and St. Bartholomew's and the Reverend David Wagner of Holy Innocence School. As a brief introduction, Stephanie did her undergraduate work at University of South Carolina with a bachelor's degree in political science in 2007. She was graduated from the General Theological Seminary of the Episcopal Church with a master's degree in divinity in 2011. She received her Doctor of Educational Ministry from the Columbia Theological Seminary in 2018. Before entering seminary, Stephanie was the interim canon for youth and young adult ministries in the Diocese of Western North Carolina. She was also the director of the diocesan camp, Camp Henry. Currently, she's serving as chaplain to St. Martin's Episcopal School and children's minister to St. Bartholomew's Episcopal Church. David was ordained to the priesthood in the Diocese of Atlanta in 2011, soon after graduating from the General Theological Seminary in New York City. He has served as the middle school chaplain at Holy Innocence Episcopal School since 2016 and has been leading Sunday worship services at the Emmaus House Chapel since the summer of 2019. He and his wife, Kathleen, have a daughter, Hayes, who we just said goodnight to, <laughs> and she is turning three years old in February. Yep. David enjoys listening to and playing music, hiking and camping, games and puzzles, and getting his hopes up a bit too high with the Atlanta sports teams. We're not going to ask you which one, David. I would just say maybe all of them, question? All of them. Yes. All yep. of them. All of them. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. Um, Stephanie and David are going to be talking about Episcopal schools, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other topics within that. So David, if you would lead us off with a prayer, we would greatly appreciate it. Yes, of course. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, well, given that it is uh, given that it is seven o'clock, um, might be a little too soon for Compline, uh, the prayer right before bedtime. Uh, so I'm going to um, just lead us with a couple prayers from the Book of Common Prayer evening prayer worship service. Um, and so uh, starting, if you have a Book of Common Prayer nearby, then feel free to join along. Otherwise, feel free to join along in spirit. Let us pray. O God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Amen. Well, David and Stephanie, I'm going to leave it up to you. Um, if anyone has any questions, please feel free to put them in the chat box, or we will leave the last 15 minutes for open question time. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having us, everyone. Oh, our pleasure. Indeed. Thank you. Well, um, Stephanie and I, uh, uh, one of the things that, that uh, Nora introduced in the introductions there is that we were seminary classmates all three years together in New York City at the General Theological Seminary. 
of the Episcopal Church. And um, uh, when we got together last week, we we were uh, talking about what to, what to discuss for tonight. And um, given that we're both school chaplains, we thought what better topic than Episcopal schools. And uh, one of the things that, that we kind of stumbled upon and came up with and thought about together is that, you know, at Episcopal schools, even though we are Episcopal schools, uh, Stephanie, what is it at, at your school, percentage of Episcopalians? Yeah, we're at 10% this year, and we, we've lost 1% every year for like the last five years. Okay. Yeah, I think that we're somewhere around 16 or 17% of our student body. Um, and so we, and so out of like 1,400 or so students, that's well over, that's right about a thousand, probably over a thousand of our student body that are non-Episcopalians. Uh, and Stephanie, as, as I was thinking about tonight, I, I was wondering, when was the first moment, uh, how, first, how long ago did you start at St. Martin's? This is my eighth year, and then I was a chaplain okay. in Florida for two years, so I'm coming up on a decade of chaplaincy. Yeah, all right, awesome. Then, and this is my fifth year at Holy Innocence. When was the first time that you felt that Episcopal, non-Episcopal tension or thing in the mix for you? That's a good question. Um, it actually was my first year of chaplaincy, which would make sense because I didn't know what to expect, but I preached a sermon in middle school chapel um, where I talked about uh, everyone being, being able to receive salvation um, and to let the kids uh, have relief over that. And then I got, before I even exited the chapel, I processed out and the, the uh, elementary school principal pulled me into the sacristy and said, I cannot believe that you told all of our students that everyone makes it to heaven. That's not true um, and really inappropriate for you to preach. <laughs> wow. And I was like, oh, like what just happened? <laughs> uh, and it was a really big deal at the school and the rector at the time who was Doug Raymer, who used to be in Atlanta, yeah. had to have a special sermon that Sunday just to explain the theology and kind of have my back. <laughs> um, and I was really like blown away because I just thought Episcopal school, everyone understands our theology. And that was just not true. Yeah. Yeah, what about you? Yeah. Um, so for me, it was also my first year in, in, uh, uh, as chaplain. Um, and by the way, this question, we did not map this particular question out. This is something <laughs> when we were talking, when Stephanie and I were talking about ideas, this question was not on the, on the thing. Uh, but, but we had, um, so for our opening convocation, which is when all of the divisions at our school get together for Eucharist at the beginning of the school year, um, the upper school down to the three-year-olds, uh, we were planning it, me and the two other chaplains, um, and we mapped out this service, this Eucharist service kind of standard. And then we, we were talking about it. And then we were talking about it with Bishop Wright. And, uh, and as we were thinking about it, as we were thinking about our school context and uh, the, the makeup of our school, we thought, you know, maybe we need to open up the prayer a little bit and open up the language to reflect more of the religions that are at Holy Innocence. 
And so we included some prayers in there that, um, that addressed God in non-Christian names. Uh, we addressed God as Yahweh, uh, Adonai, um, uh, Allah, Brahman, uh, and to reflect the other traditions. And, um, and we also had, we had readings from the Torah, we had a read, which is kind of standard in Episcopal services. And we had a reading from the Quran that a student read in Farsi. Um, and for, for me, I thought, what a beautiful way to reflect the, to reflect the, uh, the pluralism in our school. And uh, not everybody shared that thinking. <laughs> there, there was quite a, uh, there was a crowd of, um, of, I would guess somewhere around 20, 25 or so parents who were quite vocal uh, in their disappointment that, that, a, that a Christian school would, would do such a thing. Um, and so for me, that was kind of an introduction, I think, into being in, uh, being in a place that is institutionally and explicitly Episcopalian and holds to the Episcopal traditions. Uh, but when it comes to boots on the ground and, and things actually being that way and the, the life and the culture, there are some differences there. I think this is a good time to sort of back up um, yeah. and, and sort of explain to everyone in Episcopal schools, um, the foundation of all Episcopal schools is that everyone is welcome just as they are. And so um, it is part of our education and our practice that we do these types of things. And our bishop, um, I'm gonna sort of paraphrase him, but he explains it um, that we do not believe that any one religion or any one people um, holds all of the truth. And so we have to listen to each other with respect and we have to learn. Um, and so that's the way that we appro approach um, ministering to a very large group of people that are not Episcopalian. And um, we also teach that God is not, this is from the bishop, God is not from Georgia. God is not American. Um, God is not white. Um, you know, that, the, that science and religion are cousins. They're not, and they don't go against each other. Uh, we teach that you need the head for, for part of your um, connection to God. And so we pay attention to our academics. Um, our education is really uh, broad and open in that way. And that is part of our Episcopal identity because we were founded on the cornerstone of, of uh, inclusion. You know, um, uh, Queen Elizabeth was caught between the Catholics and the Protestants. And um, she said, the truth is in the middle. That was our founding. And so that's sort of where we lay our foundation. And um, if you're not used to being around lots of other religions and, and in fact, having to minister to them, um, that might not be like as obvious. So I just yeah. wanted to back up and, and sort of bring everyone yeah. on board to sort of the Episcopal school ethos. <laughs> does that yeah. make sense? That does help. Um, and, and, and I think uh, when, when you just talked about uh, that we were founded on the cornerstone of inclusion, my mind went to uh, the gospels when Jesus is regularly 
going to the Gentiles and going to non-Jewish constituents and going to people who may otherwise not seem to have anything to do with what the N group is doing. Um, the, uh, the centurion who, uh, who asks to have his servant healed, uh, the Canaanite woman, um, the, 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 the good Samaritan, which that phrase, we kind of think about that as anyone who helps someone else. But of course, a Samaritan is an enemy of the Jews um, back at Jesus's time. And so that's a loaded term in and of itself. Um, and uh, something else that comes to mind with all of this is that, you know, as an Episcopal school, we're explicitly a Christian institution, right? You would see that. You would see Holy Innocence Episcopal School, St. Martin's in the Fields Episcopal School, and you would understand that this is a school with a faith affiliation. And um, one of the things that I have learned over time is that, uh, especially in Atlanta, in, in, in the Atlanta private school landscape, there's a lot of different kinds of uh, religious schools. And some of the, some, there are some Christian schools that, um, that have their students and that have their families sign a covenant, uh, affirming that they believe that Jesus Christ is my personal savior, that Jesus, that Christianity is the only religion or the, the, the main acceptable religion. Um, and for Episcopal schools, what, what I've also learned over time is that, uh, and, and so those schools are kind of called covenant schools, where, where a family signs a covenant with that school. And what I've learned over time is that most Episcopal schools are not that, do not have such a covenant, do not have a, a, a statement that a family signs as part of attending school there. Um, and I was, we were, we were talking about this, what was that about a year and a half ago, Stephanie, when we, the chaplains met with the bishop and, and we were talking about that. And he said, uh, and I made the point and I said, you know, we're not a covenant school. And he responded by saying, well, no, but yes, we are because we're guided by the baptismal covenant and the book of common prayer and those questions uh, that follow when we recite the Apostles' Creed um, in some kind of question and answer forms. But then the five questions that say, will you continue in the Apostles' teaching? Uh, will you repent? Uh, when, when you fall into sin, will you repent and return to God? Um, and will you respect the dignity of every human being? And that's a big part for, for me and one of the things that we at Holy Innocence have really kind of tried to tried to kind of drill down more on is respecting the dignity of every human being means understanding where they stand on things like on matters of the heart and and things like faith and religion and understanding the ways that they see God and the ways that God has worked in their lives. And going back to the point that you made earlier that that no one religion holds all the cards or has all the answers, uh, but that it is much wider than that. Yeah, and I, I've learned in my uh, experience so far too, um, I was sort of always on my heels for a while. Um, yep. you know, these incidents that we described are not isolated. Every year I get a parent in the, you know, back to school night that's like, um, if you're a Christian school, how do you guys teach evolution? 
And like, you know, um, how is it possible that you have gay teachers and this is a Christian school? I mean, it just goes on and on. And I was always like gathering all my evidence. So for why this was okay and mm. kind of going to bat and, and trying to make sure that I was fighting the good fight. Um, and I, I finally realized that there's no fight to be had. Um, there's just, I just need to be clear. Um, and I've stopped using language that is, um, assumes that everyone is like me. So, you know, at chapel now, and, you know, everyone at our school is required to go to chapel. And I just explain at the beginning of the year, every year, um, this is an Episcopal school. And so this is the model that we are going to give you as an example of how to deepen your faith. We understand that it might not be your faith and you are not expected to convert to our faith or believe in our faith. Um, I am offering you what I know and where my expertise is. Um, and so that's how I operate in the class and in the community now too. I will always say from my context as an Episcopalian. And I have found that a lot of the problems have sort of disappeared because I'm not speaking for all of Christianity. Um, and, you know, some things will arise that people just can't reconcile, but now it's just very straightforward and they can choose to leave if they want. So, you know, recently I used female language for God in chapel and we lost five families, um, which is not small, a small amount of money, by the way. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I didn't feel like I had to defend myself. I understand that other people, that's not okay. But in our church, it is. And I'm simply holding up an example of how to deepen our faith. And, um, you know, children, adults, everyone, we all have our own spirituality and it has to be nurtured. Um, and if it's not, uh, we have problems. Just like if we didn't nurture our cognitive development or our physical development, it would cause us problems. So the same is true with our spiritual development. You, yep. you, know, you can fall into depression, anxiety, loneliness, all these things if you don't have that developed. So I'm very clear that um, what I'm trying to do is help the students develop their own spirituality and I use my faith as an example and a model. Um, so again, like another example in class, if a student raises their hand and says, is, are, is it okay to be gay? Um, I, I will say- I question last week. Oh uh, yeah, it's a good, you know, you get it every year. Yeah. But I'll say um, in the Episcopal church, it is okay to be gay. And I'll explain why, the way that we interpret the Bible, um, the tradition and the experience of our people, um, you know, I'll explain that. And I'll say, and I understand in other churches why they think it's not because, you know, they, they interpret the Bible literally. And it does say the word abomination. We don't interpret it that way. And in fact, the, the word abomination doesn't really even exist because it's, there's not a Hebrew word for that. Um, that was the, the translator who decided that, right? Um, so I'll, I'll just explain the two differences. And I'll say, if you interpret the Bible literally, I understand. Um, here's what the Episcopal Church believes. It's okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's always from the, I just use language of this is from my context. This is from the Episcopal Church and just really clear with everyone that this is the model that we use. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, that's beautiful. And, and it, it may be that, uh, that as a chaplain who's 10 years in, you're better able to be on your toes rather than five years and still 
back on the heels. Maybe I'm on that arch. Um, I think you need to give yourself more credit. <laughs> um, you know, something as, as I'm as I'm listening to you to you speak, I think that as an as as an Episcopal school, uh, some of the things that we can do especially well are to both, like you're talking about, to present what the Episcopal stance is on on one hand, and at the same time to also offer what what other traditions uh, what other traditions offer as well. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, one of the things that I that I appreciate at our at our schools uh, is the chance where they get, where students get to learn and hear from different perspectives, um, both within Christianity and outside of Christianity. Uh, and one of the ways that we've been able to do this at Holy Innocence, first, we're blessed to have our property abut uh, right next to a reformed Jewish synagogue up in Sandy Springs. Uh, and so uh, our neighbors are, uh, is the Temple Sinai Reform community. And uh, there is a trail that goes through the woods. It's maybe all of 120 yards and you can walk through it and you're right there in their parking lot. And so we have, uh, for the last several years, we haven't been able to do it with COVID, but uh, for the last several years, we've taken our sixth grade class um, the, uh, which studies Old Testament on regular field trips over there for them to see a synagogue and to see a Torah scroll uh, being brought out and take all of the finery and items taken off it and then rolled out and, and to see that in, um, in person. Uh, uh, one of my favorite things is to, to point out uh, the mezuzah, the scroll at the door on the doorpost of a, of a Jewish synagogue. And so <clears throat> I think that when we're able to do that, when we're able to offer what the Episcopal stance is and to allow students to see what others say as well, um, I think that's doing it, that's along the, the trail of doing it right. Um, so having, a, uh, having an eighth grade religion class, we recently switched from studying ethics, which is worthwhile for all students, uh, but switch from studying ethics to studying the Abrahamic traditions in that class um, so that they're learning about the basics and the framework of Judaism, uh, Christianity, and Islam. Um, what kind of stuff do y'all do y'all have in place at St. Martin's? Yeah, we do um, an intro to world religions in fifth grade, sort of at the end of fifth grade. It's not the whole year. And then in seventh grade, we revisit it. So the front half of, we, our religion classes are a year. They have us for a year. So the first semester is New Testament and the second semester is world religions. And then eighth grade is ethics. <laughs> oh yeah, nice. So, um, but that's, it's making me think what you're talking about that there is a sort of um, universalism in the job that we do. And I've noticed as, as I've come along and you too probably David, that I've become the priest to non-Episcopalians. So I've been asked to marry and bury and baptize and visit at the hospital and all that to those who are spiritual but not religious, uh, people yeah. who are Catholic and will not give that up but don't feel comfortable going to the Catholic church anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Just everyone in between, I have become their priest. And it's a, a, a very interesting dynamic 
to um, have that responsibility of, of sort of a universal priest. And I, I bring that up because as lay people, um, I think that's really what you guys are expert at is ministering in the world um, mm -hmm. and, and being that example. So um, I'm having that great responsibility as well and have even had to have discussions with the bishop around what that means because it is different um, and the rules and regulations are different for them. You know, um, I had a, a, a woman recently who was divorced and she wanted to get remarried. Uh, and we have all these rules in the Episcopal Church around that. You have to get the bishop's approval and you have to sort of write about why you're ready for marriage, marriage again and blah, blah. Um, she was not willing to do that. Just uh, organize religion where a man had to approve her <laughs> um, mm -hmm. a wedding was just not going to happen. And so uh, the bishop and I had to have a talk about that and what was the most appropriate way to handle that for her so that she could still have a priest at her wedding without having to have one of her friends ordained online and do it, you know. Um, so it, it's definitely, I think when you are ministering outside the Episcopal Church, we do have to let go of our control and our rules and sort of the things that we're used to for safety in order to, to be big enough to do that. Um, and it's okay, it works. And, and the fact that we have rules and regulations within the church works too, because uh, that means that we have a certain set of standards for each other, you know. Um, we hold each other accountable. So I kind of like that we have both and the ability to do both. Yeah. Stephanie, you're, you're a, a cradle Episcopalian, is that right? Sort of. Okay. <laughs> so my parents are Episcopalian, but they, they didn't go to church that often when I was young, and I, I loved church. So I just went with all my friends who were non-denom evangelicals in Asheville. Um, mm -hmm. So I really grew up in that church until I was about 18. Um, and then, you know, I think I outgrew the theology a little bit and found my way back to the Episcopal Church. It's kind of a long story, but okay, sort of is the answer. And yeah. you're an Episcopalian. Yeah, yeah. I grew up going to St. David's up in Roswell, and um, uh, this is the only church that I've known, really. Uh, but even though I went to Presbyterian College, but that wasn't for religious reasons. Um, but uh, uh I asked because like it wasn't until I started as a full chaplain at a, even though it's at an Episcopal school with a, a minority of the people being Episcopalian that I really what had to define for myself had to define what the Episcopal church is all about and what the Episcopal ethos means. Um, you know, it's like the fish that are swimming in water and they're swimming along one day and one says to the other, how, um, you know, how's the water today? And the other one says, what's water? Uh, like, it's like, what do you mean? This is, huh? And so, for, and so when I had to <clears throat> explain uh, to, or at least take the position of the Episcopal Church for non-Episcopal students and families and other teachers, that's when it, it kind of, for me was a back to basics and and back to the fundamentals of who we are um as a church and what sets us apart as a denomination and i, I mentioned the baptismal covenant earlier and one of the things that i learned about those five questions is that those are unique to the episcopal church or at least they started in the episcopal church uh in general convention back in um 
the 1970s when they were doing the prayer book revisions. Uh, and so that is explicitly an Episcopal thing. Um, and so those questions are, I think, really at the heart of, of who we are and shape who we are as, as schools as well. Um, we have a couple questions in the chat. I think we're at the time where we can start opening for questions. So David, the first one is from Martin Darby. Hey, Martin. Yeah. Hey, Martin. Are you in the United States? Or are you in Canterbury? You're muted. All right, Martin, you're muted there. Yeah. No, I'm back here in the U.S. for the moment. I, um, I left England when they closed it down and um, came back. Good. Good. Well, we're glad you're here. So Martin's yeah. question is for you when you were talking about the convocation. Um, yeah. You know, spoken about parents reacting. How did the students react? Oh, yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, so I'm the chaplain to the middle school, and... Um, I, I don't know about the ones for, uh, for upper school and lower school, but one of the things with middle school is that a lot of times what you tend to hear tend to be what their parents are saying. Um, and so I didn't hear anything from the students right away. Um, uh, and then I, I, I do remember a couple weeks afterwards, someone saying something like, oh, is that why we had a reading from the Quran or something like that? And it was said in a way that was a little like, that made the tone and I guess the way that it was phrased was a little like, oh, that's why we had a, a reading from there. Like they weren't, they weren't on, on the same page with what I would have hoped they were. Um, so it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to read. It's hard to read the kids because they're, oftentimes they're not saying, uh, hey, that was an awesome chapel today. Uh, even if I think that it was an awesome chapel, middle schoolers are the last kids that are going to tell you that, I think. <laughs> I don't know what it's like at St. Martin's. I make jokes. I, you would think by now I would remember that, but I always try to make jokes and it's like crickets. I'm like, oh, yeah. there I go. Yep. Being cool again. No, <laughs> yeah. Um, another question from Maribet. Uh, how do the kids react to having different religious groups in their classroom? Mm. Is it threatening to them? Or are they open to learning about other religions? Um, and I can speak just from yeah. my context, but um, you know, my experience is that the kids are very easy with this kind of thing. Anything that's really controversial for adults is usually not even an issue for the kids. So yeah. um, Lisa Miller in her book, The Spiritual Child, which I really recommend to anyone, um, she's a psychologist who writes about uh, child development and spirituality. And, and she says that, you know, um, her, through science, they have proven that spirituality is real and that um, unlike cognitive development or language, we come into the world fully developed spiritually. So it's only like as we grow that we sort of learn or uh, lose that innate knowing, you know, uh, the, the world sort of robs it from us. So I've experienced that for sure. I remember when I first talked about um, all the different religions and how it's kind of like an elephant and one might be the ear and one might be the tail and one might be the foot and you know you have to uh, ask each other what they're touching in order to get a full picture of God and I was like really nervous and the kids are like yeah I get it and I was like oh okay 
And um, that chapel where I, I mentioned uh, female language, that came from my sixth graders, actually. I, I taught, I teach by gender. And so it was my girls' class, and we were doing the Genesis story. And it said, you know, male and female, he created them. And so I talked about how we're all created in the image of God. And mm -hmm. one of them was like, even us? And I was like, yeah, of course, it says right here. And, and she was like, then why don't you ever say that in chapel? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> so, you know, um, they, in my experience, are just so much uh, naturally less bothered about difference or mm. mysticism. Yeah. That's good. That's a lot of that gels with... Uh, with my experience too, um, yeah. with our faith traditions class, learning about the Abrahamic faiths, I, I almost wish that I had started this in a non-COVID year, <laughs> just because like so many of the challenges, like the protocols and the stuff that we have at school, like the in-person students have to, they have an assigned seat and they can't get out of it. And so they, um, they can't, uh, come and sit next to the, the other students when there's, you know, we can't really do group projects and stuff like that. <clears throat> we can't get up and move about the room like we normally would be able to. They're masked the whole time. We've also got an iPad to bring in the virtual kids on Zoom um, and trying to have them feel as much a part of it. But even with all of that, so I say all that stuff to, uh, to say that like my eighth graders this year, which is the class that are studying the faith traditions, um, the level of talking in those classes is so low <laughs> that, that trying to, I'll, I'll throw a question out there and it's crickets. Um, I'll lob something up to them and, and I've just got eyes above a mask looking, staring back at me. Uh, and if I call on a certain student, then they might be, they, they might give me four words. Uh, but apart from that, it, it's a challenge this year. But even, even with that, the work that I'm seeing them do uh, and their written responses, um, they are open to learning about different religions and ones that are, that are different than the ones that, that they're accustomed to. Um, so, so far they've been, uh, they've welcomed the opportunity to learn about, uh, about different religions in the classroom. I think they're naturally curious. And, and like you yeah. were saying earlier, Jared, I do think it also helps define what it means to be Christian for them. Cause a lot of times I'll get, I'll get comments like, um, Oh, that's why we do communion. It's kind of like blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 A lot of times you can see those connections and the, and those light bulbs going off for them. Yeah. Uh, and those are definitely moments of joy. I know. We're <laughs> like, yeah. it's working. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is the frequency of chapel length yeah. of service? That's from Bob Wicker. Yeah. Hey, Bob. Um, thanks for joining us tonight. Um, that, so is, is this the, is this Bob from, is this Bob from St. Luke's? Mary Harris saying yes. Yeah. All right. I thought so. I thought so. Hey, Bob, good to see you again. Um, 
the uh so at our chapel we have chapel in the middle school once a week it's tuesday mornings um and it's usually uh somewhere around 35 to 40 minutes this year we're doing it all online um i've got a program that um that records me off the laptop like this and it it automatically live streams it to a youtube channel um and so that's what we do yeah and um julia is uh, sympathizing with us about how hard it is to teach. So let's just take a moment for any of the teachers in the room exactly. to talk about yeah. how hard it is right now. It is yeah, thank you, Julia. To be We're right there with you. In the COVID classroom. Um, but yeah, St. Martin's is the same. Um, I'm the chaplain. Our school is smaller, so I'm the chaplain for the whole school. Um, but I have different religion teachers helping each division. Yep. Um, but our chapels are on Tuesday mornings back to back, so it's a busy morning for me, but we do early childhood chapel right around 25, 30 minutes. Um, elementary chapel about the same time, but it's different. It's um, morning prayer, basically. Um, our chapels, I will fully admit, are kind of boring, um, but I tell the kids on that that's on purpose because the whole of the rest of their lives, people are trying to entertain them. And I am not in the business of entertainment. I'm in the business of giving them a space to be with God. And I don't want to manipulate their emotions or anything like that. I want to give them space to worship and listen. So um, that's on purpose. Although they will tell me all the time, you know, over at GAC, their chaplain did a hot dog eating contest in chapel. And I'm like, over my dead body. We will never have a hot dog eating contest in chapel. But so... Um, we do that most weeks, but once a month we will do Eucharist, a full Eucharist, um, and uh, we're not doing that now, obviously, right. nobody is, and that is not my favorite about COVID. <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I see a couple more questions. Corey, thank, uh, Corey says this has been very informative. Thank you, Corey. Uh, I love your, the image of the cross on your, on your screen there. Um, thank you, Corey. Glad that you enjoyed it. Um, Stanley, uh, Stanley asked about the, the relation between Episcopal schools and parishes. Um, how do they relate to one another? Uh, there, so there is mutual support, um, and at least at Holy Innocence, I know that they're, uh, that members of the school, that there, I think that there's a certain percentage of the school board that is required to um, of the school board that is required to be members of the parish. Um, I am not too sure about the vestry uh, on the parish side of things. And as for me, <clears throat> um, my, my duties at the school are so just jam-packed from 7.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. every day that um, there is not, not much time to 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 go over to the parish side of things, um, so I'm I'm pretty much strictly on the school school side of things. Although the clergy uh, of the school and the parish do get together uh, about once a month or so to catch up uh, and and just to kind of be there for pastoral support for one another and to be in communication with each other. Yeah, and at St. Martin's. It used to be that the rector was the chair of the board um, and that the vestry had to approve all board decisions. But I think maybe 
five to seven years ago, the bylaws were changed and now the rector sits on the board but is not the chair and the vestry no longer has to approve board decisions. Um, we also, I think, have to have 10% have to be Episcopalian. I don't know if they have to be parishioners, but they have to be Episcopalian. Um, I know that the rector and the head of school meet, I don't know if it's weekly or monthly, but they do meet. Um, and we always try to do at least two projects together as a community. Um, so once is a day of service where the church and the school community come together to serve. And then we always do school Sunday, which we're doing this Sunday, where we worship together um, and celebrate our mutual um, relationship and the fact that the church founded the school. Um, and then we'll try to find other things like um, we'll try to make like a day of volunteers at the Sutter Center, which was started by our church, be from the school and um, things like that. So yes. I think that's kind of how it works for us. I think that I th it's my understanding that that there are a that most Episcopal schools are connected to a parish, although I know that that's definitely not the, not the case for all of them. I know that there are independent Episcopal schools uh, that aren't um, that aren't on the property of the parish or that that aren't uh, specifically specifically affiliated with with one particular parish. Um, uh, Mary Hare. Uh, asks about, do we conduct the chapel services from the church or at, or at a desk? I learned the hard way. Go ahead, Stephanie. You go ahead. <laughs> I learned the hard way uh, not to conduct it in the church because, so our first, our first streaming uh, service of the year, of the school year, uh, I was over in the church and the Wi-Fi cut out after about five minutes. And so my live stream just completely dropped. And so I was running around trying to, I, I finally just came back over to the, um, back over to the school to do it there. And that's where I've, where I've uh, celebrated chapel every week since uh, just at a desk right there in the school building. And I have a, our, our students, our art students made a really beautiful Episcopal banner, uh, an altar frontal that has all these really cool images and, they have like words like peace and hope and joy and blessings and dove, doves all over them and crosses and rainbows and all that kind of stuff. And so I put that on a dry erase board behind me uh, on a, a portable dry erase board and just I stand in front of that. So, but you do it in the church, right? I do do it in the church. It's live streamed. Um, and then I gave them their own materials in each classroom to to kind of create their own altar but it's it's um it's just a band-aid it's not very yeah. exciting um it's a it's a placeholder for yeah. um when we get back yeah. and it i think i've talked about this with other priests but it's definitely shifted from worship to being something that's performative for me um you know because I'm not really in this space with people worshiping God. It doesn't feel like I'm putting on a show. Mm. Um, so that's, I think it, it wears on me a little bit, um, but we're working on it and I do have the acolytes come. So it's nice to be with them. And I tell them, please participate yeah. fully, even though there's only two of you because it helps me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. We have an interesting question from S. Starks. Yeah. 
Um, she says, I went to, or he's, I don't know, because it's just S. Um, I went to an Episcopal school in another part of the country. Our religion teacher came from the West Coast and decided to hold seances in conjunction with the world religion class for juniors. I rebelled and walked out of the class, but wondered who makes slash approves the content in a private school. Does the bishop or anyone generally oversee or is it left up to a principal slash local? Um, so I, I can answer for me, and that is um, every priest in the Episcopal Church uh, is accountable to the bishop. Um, we've all been given a good education, and I think that we are trusted with that education. It's why it's required. Um, so uh, we are in charge of the curriculum, at, I, at least in my school, I think in yours too, David. Um, mm -hmm. The principals would never dream of touching that. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I'm sorry you had that experience. Uh, that's, that's pretty unusual. I don't know that many priests would do that. And in the Episcopal Church, anything um, that has to do with like evil, actually, uh, there's somebody in the diocese assigned to deal with that. So, you know, most priests are not even assigned to do that. There's somebody special assigned to do that. So um, I'm thinking that was a, a rogue decision and, and not of, of the norm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd be... I'd, I'd be, it, it works the same way at our school, um, um, where we, just as you said, we're accountable to the bishop. Um, uh, and in terms of making and improving the content in a private school, I, it is up to the private school, um, but, it's, but as, as chaplains, as ordained chaplains, we report to the bishop and are accountable to, to the bishop. Um, yeah, if I'm ever doing anything that I know parents will call in about, then I, 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 I'll, you know, I'll run it by the head of school. So, um, you know, when I do a unit on um, white supremacy, that's something I know that uh, parents will call in about. So that's a conversation we'll have with the senior admin team first and the director of diversity and equity. Um, but pretty much anything to do with like God or spirituality, um, yep. that's my realm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't really have anything to add there. You said it so eloquently. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, one of the, one of the pieces that I'll share that, that what you just said, uh, brought up for me, uh, is, um, Dan Heishman is the current, uh, head of NAES, the National Association of Episcopal Schools. And he, um, in one of his recent uh, weekly meditations that he emails out every Monday, he said that early in his tenure as an Episcopal chaplain, uh, one of the teachers asked, came up to him and asked him kind of in a snarky way, said, oh, you're the chaplain. So are you here to bring God to our campus? And he said that he wishes that he had the, the insight and the, the readiness to reply and say, no, my job isn't to bring God. To the campus, but my job is to illustrate how God is already present and already active here in the community. Um, so that has that has stuck with me, and that's I've tried to make that kind of one of my my marching orders and one of my postures uh, as an Episcopal chaplain. Um, I think that's lovely. It is, yeah. I like that a lot. A lot of um, chaplains would say to you that um, 
our ultimate goal is really to form, to help form kids in a place where they know that they are loved yep. and holy and nothing that happens to them and nothing that they do can ever change that. I mean, I think that's like nuts and beans. That's what we all try to do. We show up every day so that kids, while they're being educated and going through life, they've got this, um, you know, sort of invisible support system. And I think you could probably narrow it down to that for all of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I like what Dan said though, David, that's a good reminder. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, does anybody have any other questions? Anybody have any? Uh, I actually have a question for both of you. Hot tips? Go ahead. Um, this has to do more with formation of faith yeah. in children. For those who are not going to Episcopal schools, mm. what do you recommend, especially now since there really is no going to church, so to speak? I, I can uh, jump in first. Um, I'm, so, I'm sorry, before, before you answer it, would you, um, would you mind repeating the question? Um, I think sure. that it bagged a little bit on my end there, sorry. Okay, for those people who do not send their children to Episcopal schools mm -hmm. and were using the church, going to church, participating in church as part of their children's formation, what do you suggest right now? Oh, great. Go ahead, Steph. Um, I always say this in my baptismal prep for parents, but um, Sunday school actually originally was not for the children of the parish. It was for children who had parents who were unchurched and were not being taught at home. Um, and so it's always been the responsibility of the parents to bring faith. And I think a lot of parents are afraid to do that. Like maybe they don't have all the right answers. They don't know what to say. They don't want to get it wrong. Um, but the best thing to do is to share your faith and to use God language regularly um, and to uh, tell them what you know about God and ask them what they know about God and to do that regularly. Um, and what I mean by using the language of your faith, you know, I sometimes yell at my kids because I'm not a perfect mom, um, but then I'll say, you know, you're the most important thing in my life and I don't want to treat you that way and I hope that you'll forgive me. Um, so I'm using forgiveness language, and um, and I I ask them to not say it's okay. I ask them to say I forgive you, um, and we talk about redemption. And uh, you know, it can be very easy and very natural, but I really think that's the you know slow, consistent um, openness with your kids is the best way to form them. Yeah, that that took me back to. Um, just growing growing up sitting around the dinner table uh faith was <clears throat> questions and topics and and talking points about faith were kind of regularly part of our family style and it it was never really you know my parents saying well this is what the Bible says, or you have to go read the Bible, but it was more like just kind of tossing questions. Like my, it was a regular thing for my dad to be like, you know, I wonder like what kind of car would Jesus drive these days? Or, you know, just kind of ridiculous stuff like that. And, and, and just kind of these, these conversations that would just kind of 
weave and go into all directions. And sometimes they would touch on things from the Bible. Sometimes they would bring in stuff about God. And it was just this kind of natural way of thinking together about, about things that, that have to, that touch on religion and faith and, and belief. Um, and I think that what, what you said and uh, that there are ways to bring those in explicitly and to use forgiveness language and to use that kind of language. Um, and then for it also to be just kind of part of the regular conversation around the dinner table. It worked, by the way, David. Just a fun story for all you guys. Um, I, David asked me to be the dean of Camp Michael with him once. And usually yeah. the dean staff is like a lot of friends and they have a lot of fun together, right? Like that's what dean staff is about. And I had kids, young kids. So I had kids before David. So I said, yes, but they were going to have to come with me. Uh -huh. uh, and I remember being kind of nervous because it was David and his twin brother. And I was like, they probably want to be in this cabin and, you know, have fun and play cards all night. And I've got, I don't know, what were they, two and four at that time or something? I think so, yeah. So they're going to be so annoying and they're going to be loud. And um, David and his brother were just like so patient the whole week. One time I came back from getting something in the camp and... I had already put the kids to bed, but they apparently got up and David and Matt were in there playing guitar to them, singing. I think it was like Blackbird. And yeah. I mean, like, I was like, man, these are like good people that they can make room for little kids and like give up a week of, you know, chilling with normal people <laughs> to like invite a mom and young kids. So anyways, your parents did a good job. <laughs> oh gosh, thanks. Yeah. And yeah. That, thanks for reminding us about that, playing guitar for them. That was fun. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that it glad that it's. We have any more questions? We're getting very close to end time. Um, I think we'll wrap this up next week. Uh, we are going to have the Reverend George Yandel from Holy Family in Jasper, and the Reverend Brian Sullivan from Saint Benedict School in Smyrna, yeah. and they are going to discuss how did we get here. They didn't tell me where the here was, so you'll have to tune in and find out where that here is. So, uh, Stephanie, I believe you are going to do a closing prayer for us. I want to thank you both so much for being here and letting us learn more about the Episcopal schools and about our children and their faith. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you all for your great questions and, and being here tonight. Thank you. Well, um, since I do come from that evangelical background, I'm, I'm just going to I'm gonna wing the prayer tonight, guys. The Holy Spirit moves me, so let us pray. Holy and beloved God, they called you rabbi because you were a teacher, and it is an awesome responsibility to be a teacher. It's also an awesome responsibility to be a learner and to live together in community. And so I ask that you be with each of us on this call that you knit our hearts together as a group of teachers, learners into one whole, reminding us that we are not doing this work alone, that it is the work of love and family and togetherness, and that we all belong to you. And because of that, you are always with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stephanie, David, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you everyone for joining us tonight. And we